I'm Matt Price, and I'm here with Dr. Michael Badriaki. And today on this episode of Embracing the Margins, we're going to talk about another barrier to missional generosity, and that's the barrier, barrier of, of self-centeredness. And Michael, I just want to start with this. Um, when we talk about generosity and missions, you've mentioned the barrier of self-centeredness. How does self-centeredness impact missional generosity? It is, it is at the center of the challenges that impact mission generosity. It starts with, um, the modern day question is, why should I give you this money when I have worked myself off to, to make this money, to earn this money? Sounds like a good question, right? Sounds like a question that's wanting to, 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 to focus on this idea of being a steward. So it makes sense in the modern sense, but listen to it again. Why should I give you this money that I have worked for and I have been given it to steward it. You, you, you listen, there's more eyes than the other persons. There's more eyes than God. So this focus on me, myself, and I, the problem of me, myself, and I, has it's been a problem of ages. And so I think when we look at it, when we look at it again, like the previous episode, we have to examine it from that point of what has, what have I called you, O man, to do? Have I called you to do this I, me, myself, and I? No, I've called you to love mercy. That means one of the greatest vaccines to this problem of me, myself, and I is the idea of mercy because mercy tells me Michael, you've received some kind of pardon, some kind of love, some kind of justification when you didn't really deserve it. Something is there for you that you haven't really worked for. For example, the air we breathe, the most precious thing I can have more than money. Somebody has given it to me. And they haven't asked me those questions. Why should I let you awake every morning? Why should I let you leave every hour? Why? And so it really goes back to God as the source of why I should do everything I should do. More importantly, is not the why, is the whom. Who owns this stuff? Who owns this money? And if I'm a steward, is it for austerity's sake only? I doubt. It is really for generosity. So I think that the focus on me it's not even fear before it is this self-centeredness. Let us like let, let us go and build this tower for ourselves. They thought the story of Babel. Right. And the psychologist will tell us that <laughs> this, this tripartite structure of the human being, which is still controversial for some, but the ego, ego, I, and the id. The Eid, I think, is me, this focus on me. So it really, there's something deeper that I cannot cure, but Christ can. Well, so, you know, just as we look at giving money, giving money to anything, it, it doesn't mm. matter who or what or where, there's some hurdles that we're getting over that, that say, this is mine. And in America, there's this model, or there's historically been this model where we say, if you didn't earn it, you're not entitled to it. Mm. Therefore, it's better to uh, teach a man to fish than give a man a fish. Mm -hmm. If you teach a man to fish, he can go get his own fish, right? If, mm -hmm. For the rest of his life. So that's the mentality. And then there's some, you know, there's some truth in this. There's some truth mm. in in God's design that we should work and be productive and, 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 you know, we should 
at some level take care of ourselves and our family. Yet, mm. when we look at the life of a Christian, we mm. have been given unmerited favor. Mm-hmm. Grace has been given to us and we cannot earn it. Mm-hmm. So it's really strange that when we look at what Jesus says about helping the poor and when mm. we look at what Jesus says in his warnings to the rich, right. that we turn around and say, well, if somebody's poor, number one, it's probably their own fault. And number two, the last thing we should do is give them money because that might actually hurt them more than it'll help them. It's right. like the opposite of what Jesus taught about money, where the rich right. person keeps his money. Mm. And his explanation to himself is by keeping my money, I'm actually helping. Mm. And that encapsulates what I see as a self-centered type mentality that you've talked and written about. It's just this idea that good stewardship is me earning all the money I can possibly earn. And then hmm. not squandering it by giving it away to anybody. Instead, stewardship right. is me keeping this money. And now if I take and give 10% to my local church, then hmm. I've given God his. And hmm. then 90% becomes mine that I'm tasked with making sure that my kids and my family have everything they need, that my future is secure and all those things. Hmm. 90%, but the message to me is 90% of what I bring in um, is in fact, mine. Right. Person is God's 90% is mine. And so right. that leads to the, if you ask me to give more money than my 10% to poor people in Africa, right. I'm going to put some restrictions on that that are my natural inclinations to how I want my money spent. Well, how can you guarantee that it's going to be spent on good things? How can you guarantee that the people I'm sending it to won't squander it? How can you guarantee that the things I want to see done are actually the things that are done? Again, listen to all the eyes and the me's in that. Right. It, it, it's, it's so concerning to me. And I don't even necessarily think this is a Western thing. I think this is a, a the human condition. The it's human a human condition. condition says there's God and there's me. Who am I going to trust, myself or God? Who am I going to please, myself or God? Because our actions often are very different depending on our answer to those questions. And so money is just another thing that Jesus said will entrap and ensnare us. And it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. Right, right. Yeah. No, it's just I, I, one of those things. Well, you know, the camel that gets through an eye of a needle is easier than for a rich man to get into heaven. It, yeah. if, if, if you think of yourself in terms of a wealthy person in any way, and I, almost every American is a wealthy person compared to the rest right. of the world. Yep. For a Christian, that camel in the eye of a needle vision should terrify you. It, 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 should, it should bring you to a place where you're examining everything you do with money um, right. and not so that you can keep it for yourself. So it, as we talk about missional generosity and this barrier of self-centeredness, when we look at systems of poverty alleviation that are currently in place, um, like when helping hurts or some of these other poverty alleviation systems that are very Western based. Um, how does self-centeredness play into that strategy? Where do you see self-centeredness coming up and why is it a problem there? Yeah, and you, you made a really good, good point, Matt, in, in demonstrating and, and reminding all of us that this idea of focus on me is a human it's, it's a human issue it, it, and it has some really deep elements to it. I think it was Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard, who wrote about this idea that at the core of the human being is this problem called angst. That we are so worried about the self that we, and St. Augustine talked about it too, but maybe from ideas of passion that we collapse into ourselves. We're so helplessly, so self-focused that it is our number one prison. 
Is it then surprising that even when Jesus says, if you are going to come and follow me, you should deny self? Good point. The number one antidote to that problem is the gospel. Not more money, not counting every single dollar that you spend, even though that's a good practice for budgeting. That's all it is. It's a good practice for budgeting. It doesn't get you any more land in heaven or one more block of gold on the streets of gold, whatever the dream is up the way yonder. In fact, the opposite is true. We're told to invest in a place where there's no rust, where there's probably no accounting. <laughs> you see, where we don't have to worry about how much is we have there and I don't think we even will receive annual reports of how our portfolio is doing. So it's a totally different system of generosity that it is more about gathering resources, that these resources will go to help those who God wants them to be given to, poor mothers, widows, what? That's what that's that's pure, pure, pure religion. James says is taking care of the widows, the orphans, and 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 the poor. But you know, this problem of self-centeredness is common to all men at all levels, but most especially psychologically. And then resource-wise comes later. And this is how, because when you look at the graph of how resources have gone to uh, uh, have gotten so 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 uh, 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 how we've gotten so better we've gotten better resource wise the graph really picks up here towards the 19th century 20th century the UN has done studies we are more wealthy now as a world especially the western world than we've ever ever been if there's a time to leave and be happy because of resources it's now and yet the opposite is happening so so that this idea of resources you can realize you can see when you look at this graph that there are certain economies and certain cultures especially in the western world that have perfected the art of me myself and i in extreme individualism now individuality there's no problem with individuality but this extreme individualism that now becomes ideological that is, you're more the, we're more ideological about individualism than we're theological about denying self. We're more political about individualism than we are biblical about denying self. Those are two diametrically opposed ways of thinking, of living, of being, that I guarantee you, somebody who's more biblical about denying self, I tell you what, you're showing me someone who's more, someone who's loved and somebody who's generous. And this is the case of Jesus's story with the Good Samaritan. He was trying to show us, look at what it means to have the opportunity to love. And the one who loved the Samaritan is the person who has been loved so much and given so much. It wasn't, it wasn't an issue of enough that when he took the Samaritan to the hospital, he said, I'll cover his bills. Don't let him just worry about getting well. You know, another another case that is really very interesting, Matt, when you talk about, because I think for me, I'm one who's very supportive of the rich. And I, in fact, think sometimes we've, we've, we, 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 we might talk so much about the poor that we've denied the rich the gospel. And I think we need to do both. But Jesus talks about uh, this widow in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. And he says, Jesus sat at the opposite side of the rich there at the temple. You know what he was doing? The Bible said he watched. He watched as the rich came to give. And he said they were so flamboyant about it. They had to get recognition. You see the main thing. It was for them. But he saw this widow who came and gave two, I think it was two coins. And he said she, he, she gave everything she had out. She gave everything she had. It is not a story to say that the, the poor should always give everything they have. It is a story to say, look at the heart of what mission or generosity looks like. You don't have to have everything. 
And when it came to giving to God, she gave her everything. To me, I've seen that that's what the poor do. That's why it is troubling when you see theories like what Fickett is, 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 is promoting. In his book, that, you know, the poor are not generous until you come and show them what to do. It's really presumptuous. But those kinds of theories even lead us to miss the greatest thing about what's happening to the poor is that when they get saved, we don't celebrate that. We are more concerned about our techniques as the superior class that knows how to get the poor to give. And then the other thing about teaching them how to fish, it's actually bad economics. I, I really, I really want, I, I shudder when I hear people who say they know economics promote this kind of slogan. It's a slogan. But think about it, Matt. What if the fish run out of the pond? What if fish run out in the pond? What if everyone's fishing from the same pond and the fish are running out? Isn't that what happens with, uh, with salmon in Alaska? where they're now trying to preserve that? Well, this idea of the, uh, 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 the, the, the problem of the commons has been discussed to the point that what if everyone was fishing? What if everyone was selling fish at the same price? Well, it's an oversaturated market. You know, who, you know who ends up suffering? It's the poor again. They cannot diversify. So, I, Michael, I want to I want to track down just kind of a little bit of the thought pattern here for yeah. uh, for a, a system that kind of denies the poor help. Um, yeah. So I think it goes a little bit like this um, for a, a Christian poverty alleviation um, NGO. Um, sometimes it goes like this. Hey, we have a strategy and we have a plan. And so we got to go find the poor that will follow our strategy and plan. And so once we find those people, then we'll tell them what to do. And if they do it, then we'll share our knowledge with them and maybe even a little bit of our money. But in the end, we'll teach them to help themselves. So that's that goes along with that slogan that you've talked about there, the slogan of we're not going to give money. What we're going to do is teach. And once we teach, these people will understand that they have their own resources and, and they just don't know yet how to use their own resources. Um, so not only does that bring a lot of negative stereotype and racial other into the picture, but it brings this idea of um, me as the NGO leader, me as the poverty alleviation expert, knows best right how to deal with this money yeah and what these people that i don't know i don't know their culture i don't know their language i've never been to their country except maybe on a vacation uh, i'm gonna bring all of what i think my stuff and i'm gonna import it on them yeah and so this self-centeredness starts to shine through and so what we've seen i think with with books like fickert's book we're helping hurts and then uh, when helping hurts and then his Chalmers center as we're seeing that thought pattern then reflected um, in our churches as pastors and elders and deacons begin to develop their own models for helping. Mm-hmm. They hear this message of, if you just give money, if you just share resources with partner church in Mexico or Asia or wherever, you're probably doing more harm than good. So cut the money off. Stop that, guys. Don't do that. You don't want to hurt these people. You want to help them. And if you're going to help them, the way you need to do that is you need to come up with a very complex strategy that we, de- we design so that you can teach them how to use their own resources. So the, the expert message to the churches is cut off and stop giving because you might harm um, based on your impressions and your fears and your self-centered idea that you know what's best. And so what happens then in the heart of the individual believer in the church is they hear this message and maybe they've read something like when helping hurts and they start to become um, missional generosity paralysis where Mm. they say, my heart says to give, Mm. but my gut says I'm probably hurting more than I'm helping. 
So I'm just not going to do that. I'm just mm-hmm. not going to. I'm not an expert. Mm-hmm. I, I, if these experts, if my church leaders say this. So then what we get into is this idea that's a place like the Chalmers Center or maybe even my local church is going to design a strategy. And then they're going to go overseas and they're going to find poor people that will agree to their strategy. And then once they do that, then they can come back and report to the church. Well, look, this is this strategy makes sense. This is how we're holding them accountable. And therefore, it's safe for you to give money here. And the problem with that is it ignores the fact that there are churches and church leaders and believers overseas and other places Mm. that they're already experts on their place. They're already expert on on what's going on there. And when we say we're the expert and we're going to withhold unless we get to purport our expertness on somebody else and their, and their, their context is Mm. we, we show the ugliest, the ugliest self-centered mentality and we begin to dominate. And what's the reason we dominate? Because we're self-centered and because we have the money. And, and with you. And, and, and with, we, we have an ideology of uh, uh, ethnocentrism. That somebody told us, you know, for, for such a person, they're playing off of this idea that they know better. Right. And so it goes back to, uh, you know, the idea of negative thinking towards the other people they don't know and when you look at it, it it's it's always been the case and uh, other other people have written about it that sometimes the christian mission enterprise participants get so desperate that they always have to create a need over here so that it justifies why they're going so it's a very economized approach to 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 which is very different. So that's the difference sometimes I think from this idea of missions and God's mission. That those are two different things because uh, this idea that until I see a need, how bad is it over there for them to need me? This is the consulting model. It is the tyranny of the consulting model, and I think this is the problem with uh, when helping Hertz's ideas from beginning of the book to the end. That really, when you look at it, he is consulting within Western churches uh, to propagate the business of Chalmers, then the business business model. When you look at who really benefits financially, I, I would doubt that it is, you know, the the people the so-called you know so-called poor, um, because. You know, the ideas, when I read the ideas in the book, um, they just are so off. This idea of um, a strategy. Well, you, you created the strategy in America for over there, really? Like, like when are the days going to end when you're creating strategies for over there without them? Can they lead? Right. Can they lead the strategy? They can. And, you know, I I guess I I would have to say just just to be fair. I mean, this stuff didn't necessarily emanate with Fickert or When Helping Hurts. It's been there a long time. And um, When Helping Hurts just did a really good job of encapsulating this thought pattern into a super easy to digest package that went viral among Western evangelical Christians. And um, it's used as an excuse to not give on many different levels and to um, alter strategy when you decide that you're going to continue to give such that there's less of a voice given to the recipients. But I'm just thinking about mistakes I've made in my own life, Michael, as I've worked overseas, even discounting what's in When Helping Hurts and thinking about like the time that I showed up in a village in the mountains. And we thought it would be a good idea to bring chickens because these people didn't have enough to eat. And we knew chickens were an important part of their diet. And, and so I get a box of chickens, like little baby chicks at the, at the local market. And I hike with them up on, you know, my back up to this village. And my Mm -hmm. idea is, well, I'm going to go up to the village. The village is maybe five, six, seven, um, 
little houses were, were the village. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to equally and fairly distribute these chickens amongst anybody we find up there. Mm-hmm. And so I bring those chickens up and I'm trying to distribute them. And I realize, wait, I, I don't have enough chickens to give everyone a chicken. And there are some family dynamics here that I'm not really understanding. There appears Mm -hmm. to be a leader, but then everybody's an uncle. And so everybody's related. And now somebody's asking me why they didn't get a chicken and why somebody else did. And next thing I know, people are angry at me and people are fuming and people are slamming doors and, and going out into courtyards. And I don't even know what they're saying, but it's a complete meltdown. And I just wanted to help. I just wanted this is what happens over and over. That is a microcosm of a Western ill thought out strategy. Yes. And as I've examined that years later and even days later after getting myself into that, I realized I made some huge blunders. Number one, I assumed that they needed chickens. Number two, I didn't know that chickens were their main um, indicator of wealth. And by bringing in 15 or 20 chickens, I had just substantially changed the wealth dynamics in that village. Number three, I didn't realize that all those types of gifts should go through the local village structure And I took a lot of honor away from the village leader because here I am showing up without their authority and deciding who's going to get what. I mean, I was just wrong on every level, but I had the best of intentions. And to me, that's thicker. That's what we're doing in Western Christian poverty alleviation. We have the best of intentions. We go and we create disasters by accident. And, right. you know, I do, I've examined Fickert's, Fickert's numbers in his tax documents and very little of that money that he raises goes directly to help the poor anywhere. Most of it goes to his own research and his own travel and the teaching things that they do. But at the end right. of the day, there's no direct giving except direct, a minimal amount of direct giving that requires a whole lot of hoops that the recipient has to jump through and they're all right. designed hoops. Yes. So, uh, so, it's a, so that's, a, that's a very good example because I think, it, you know, even, uh, it, it didn't begin with Fikert, but Fikert needs to, needs to be addressed because he's benefited from, his, from this book. And it is sort of the Magna Carta. It's the to-go book. It's the it's the red card, people. This is a soccer. That's a soccer reference to soccer. It's the red card in mission for for not being given money that people wave. So I think we're referring to him and his work as an example of these ideas. Now, that idea I call it the myth of the chicken of chicken or the myth of the chicken coop. Uh, because this myth of the chicken coop and chickens, um, the other thing is the myth of secondhand clothes. Then, you know, there's also the myth of this, the, you know, the, the, when people come back from mission trips to say, oh, wow, they say, what did you learn? They say, you know, we were really moved by how they, they were so happy. They are very little, but they're so happy, you know, Um so there's all these kinds of really surfacey ideas. To me, I think that when even people qualify it and say we had good intentions, I say, mm, you know, look, go, now that you have learned the lesson, go and look back whether, because what was good? What was good about the intentions? Because what was, what was good would have meant that you really wanted to go and learn and get to know, you had all the time. You really had all the time, I think, because then you see what is good is also qualified on Western standards, right? So I would say the problem was not even the chicken, just like the problem wasn't $8 when Fikert gave this woman, Grace, HIV AIDS saving medicine. The problem was the presumption that somebody knew better before 
going and really, I mean, this is why ethnographic studies are really important, even if some of them might not be done well. But like I'm going through, I'm going through a research program, and it's 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 amazing how research, you know, emphasizes on listening to the person on the other end and bracketing my own thoughts. It starts to really put intentions in perspective because with chicken, I don't even know this particular context, but I, when you share that, it mirrors exactly my context in Uganda. Because when I used to go and visit my grandmother, you know, she's long, she's passed away, my mom's mom, she would, one of the honors she did to really show her love and thank us for visiting and we felt the love, she would give us chicken, live chickens. It was a, it was a, that's a beautiful gesture of generosity and gratitude and love. But what she was also doing, she was putting food on our plate and we were coming from the city. My dad had a good job. So she wasn't giving us because we were poor. Right. So that chicken and certain things are symbols of generosity. Who's going to get what and when? So because in different villages, there's a way uh, generosity is organized within the uh, hierarchy of power and respect and honor. The values, I think more than the chicken, is what values are at play. And how do you, as a visitor, join, join the honoring of those values? I would even say, because many people say, oh, we tipped the economy of, of scale. No, actually, when you look at the national GDP and when you look at the national actual political challenges of a, of a place, they were long tipped before people got there to tip them. You know, bringing a bag of secondhand clothes to a village in Uganda is not going to make them any, any more poor than we found them. It really isn't. In fact, the kids who are going to benefit from having these clothes because now they can go to church. Now they can, right? But the question is, how were they distributed? How, who, who, was, who was respected? Again, I go back for me to First Peter chapter 3. Do it in gentleness and respect because you will never be able to please everyone in the village no matter how well you do it. There will always be somebody saying, what about me? And, and Michael, that is a that is one of the things that has concerned me about mm. the current paradigm for sharing mm. uh, that, that Fickard endorses, and and it's endorsed by you know some big names, the the, the poverty alleviation experts out of MIT and and others mm. that, that you go into a community in a place where you're an outsider, mm. and you immediately set up your own structure by forming a group and that group you try and populate with a representative um, population of people within that community and that group becomes the group that's supposed to generate the answers for how to alleviate poverty in that area and the problem with that is an outsider I, I just find it very hard to believe that an outsider could come in and effectively organize such a group without absolutely. causing absolute pandemonium and destruction in the existing structures. Right, right. So, I think they're, 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 arguing, they're arguing for uh, a, a very shrewd, crust imperialistic takeover. And, and but, that's, that's, but, but, but that is the 18th century. That's the 19th. We're not doing... Uh, Matt, groundbreaking poverty alleviation stuff, Michael. This is what they I know. I, I know, but this is why we have to critique it, so, and we have we we have to really uh, stick our ground, st st stand on our ground on this beauty of the love of God that is not this cynical, and 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 this and because somebody is setting themselves here up as God, because look. Um, when when you go into a village and you say 
that you're setting up a structure. There were already structures, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, Matt, there are churches in the villages that are run by pastors who are very hyper-Pentecostal. What that means, this is not a ding on them, it's just a fact. They are raising money off of poor people. You're not concerned about that? You're concerned about bringing in chicken to give to people? You know, <laughs> in, in a lot of these contexts, these villages are already in countries that are run by demagogues. You're not concerned about that? Here's actually the ultimate hypocrisy, even for, you know, the move, the, the, the documentary Poverty Inc. Uh, because I think Poverty Inc. is exposing something that uh, it's not hypocrisy on Poverty Inc.'s side because people mention that. But what Poverty Inc. is revealing is that this system of dumping products into a country is a macroeconomic policy. It has been happening since time immemorial. Look, America has a surplus of wheat products. They, where do they have to put that? So they subsidize this wheat. It's an economic system. When Christians get so up in arms about tipping the economies of scale, the question is, when have you ever seen a, 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 a group from, say, even let's use Chalmers Center, a group from any kind of church that says, oh, but you know, when you do this over there, you're tipping the economy. When have you ever seen them call their congressmen and women to say, hey, you know, you have public law 430 that legislates the dumping and taxpayers pay that money every year? But it seems like whether it's governmental based or, or whether it's, it's we are we're, we're circling back to this self-centeredness thing that we started with here, which is who is driving what's going to happen? So in my own life, as I've processed this, like in just the giving the chickens away example, I'm the driver. Nobody asked me for those. Nobody indicated they needed them. I just made a determination. I'm the judgment call. And then I set up a system and I went and did it. And that's a very American self-starter thing to do. Right. I found that it's more of a, back to the self-centeredness, it's more of an emotional thing and a less well thought out thing than it really is, uh, you know, an issue of heart because there's still the definition of what heart is. Because I tell you what, for the people who received the chicken, one chicken, they were happy. Those that didn't, I can see why. They, obviously, I mean, that's a human thing. Somebody receives chicken and I don't, I'll be unhappy. But for the person coming in with the chicken for you, I don't think you wanted any person stopping you from this mission that you were already set on. Right. And right. And this is a this is just a human thing. This is just a human thing. So we, we have to talk about what Peter means by be prepared. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you had met with two pastors in the village and they had said, Matt, this is a good idea actually let's take these chickens and let's add them to the farm over here so that they can we can keep populating. Won't solve our poverty problem, but it's, surely it's going to get some eggs in the, more in the market. It will get, people will be able to buy some meat. Heck, we'll be able to eat some more meat too, right? And, but, but here's the thing. I, I think that we have gotten so self-centered that we've forgotten the gospel even in how we organize each other because the people, same people who argue against setting par setting parallel systems in countries they're doing the very same things through their ngos mm -hmm. every organization that thinks they're critiquing them has a country office in those very same contexts so which is which why don't you pack up and leave if setting up a parallel system like an NGO or like taking chickens, if that's a microcosmic, why don't you shut your office and go back to where you, you came from? Why don't people then go and, why don't churches go and protest that World Vision shuts its operations down 
all over the world. Why don't people go and protest that compassion? Because I don't believe them, because I don't think they really know what they're talking about. It is not, it's not these systems that we set up. It really is fundamentally based on, are we trusting the people on the ground? They will make mistakes too. They are not perfect. But I tell you what, a pastor and a family that's connected to their neighbors in Uganda will move, will, will, will bring people together faster and with more awareness of their context together with the person from the outside. And it will be beautiful. It will be a beautiful partnership. And Michael, I think you're, you're already answering the final question I had here, which is how do we move beyond this self-centeredness um, to a place where we're sharing and being missionally generous with, without, without tripping over ourselves on this self-centered idea that we know best. And, and I think you identified it right there. One of the prime things that we need to be doing, and when I say we, I mean um, people in the West who have excess resources to give, um, but are earnestly seeking, how do I do this right? Um, we need to be looking for churches throughout the world that need help. And we need to be willing to trust them and listen to what they actually say they need instead of telling them what we think they need and how we can deliver that. We need to, be, we should spend more time finding and cultivating partnerships and brotherhood then we should talking about strategy for how the money is actually spent. Right. I think that's absolutely right. So with Brian, he goes to Uganda and when he helps Grace, the pastor of the church, the pastor that hosted him, tells him, you have done, you have done good, you've helped. Fikert ignored that. Towards the end, he tells a story of another church and he says, we've been give, they've been given, they've been, they've, this church in America has been sending money and has been sending money and we're not seeing anything happen. Well, you're not seeing what you want to see, but are they doing what the Lord has called them to do? So it even, call, it even brings into question this idea of accountability. If you're doing accountability, have you agreed upon it together? Or is it an accountability standard that you've created from your own from your own sphere in the West. Because even, even in accounting, there's this idea called international financial accounting, IFRS, right? That, that, that somebody who's not trained in that and is doing a, a reporting and accounting domestically would not, would not be able, would not be able to, to know. So in other words, what are the values on which your accountability system is based? Is it taking into account the values that you, you share together? Are they shared values? This idea of shared value in business. I think there are versions of it in, in, in scripture. So how, to me, I think it really begins with uh, repenting from these ideas, these negative ideas of the other. We cannot deny. You know, we talk a lot about cross-cultural mind, but to me, I think we don't do enough because we don't talk about the racial element. It's there. It is there. I could give you countless examples of where this thing collapsed. And I think Brian is faced with it too, because when he, he talks a lot, he, he self-loathes a lot. He says, look, I'm a white guy. I'm a rich guy. I, he, there's something about being that that he doesn't like. What do you think he's talking about? He's perpetuating this racial animus. If you can do that to yourself, why won't you do it to those that your culture has deemed less than? So we need to talk about it. It is, and we need to repent from it and to the point that we need to, one, ground what we do in God's mission. And out of that, we need to be friends. We need to be friends. We really need to be friends. Working on friendship is one of the most important thing. You know, there are people who say they're your friend, but then uh, 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 
when it actually comes to working together, they treat you with inequality. I have stories, countless stories. You know, uh, I know, I know, of a, I know of a, of a person who worked at a at a Bible college in America, and he was the only professor of color who was hired from day one and had to report to two supervisors. This is in 2020. We're not talking too far. W why was that the case? Equally qualified, if not more, had published work. But why did this professor have to report to two supervisors right away from hiring. Michael, I just, there's, there's so much to unpack with this and we're running out of time on this episode, but I just, I think that what you're bringing up here with the fact that this racial dynamic, these underlying currents that are just below the surface, so impact the way that we operate. Our practice, tells what we really and truly are believing. And we can say we're friends, but if I say we're friends and you say, I need money and I say, okay, but you know what? Here's my 15 qualifications to this. Number one, you're gonna pay me back. Number two, you're gonna pay me back with interest. Number three, you're only gonna use the money for these things. Number four, we're gonna have somebody watch you all of a sudden, you don't feel like much of a friend anymore. And mm -hmm. when we look at what mm -hmm. the gospel does to us, mm -hmm. and we're all mm -hmm. part of one church. Mm -hmm. What we're really screening people for is not their, their financial acumen. What, mm -hmm. we're, what we're screening people for, partners, potential partners, is to make sure that they have a solid uh, theology, that they believe the same things we do about the gospel. If, if we are mm -hmm. brothers in the gospel, the Holy Spirit's mm -hmm. operating in both of us, the same mm -hmm. spirit. And if I'm truly your brother, I can share money with you without strings attached because right. I love you and trust you as a brother. And if God's given me much that I have access over my, my needs, not, not my wants, but my needs, mm -hmm. I need to be able to let that go and say, here you go, brother. This doesn't come with strings attached or an exit strategy. Right. We're, we're, we're in this together. We're in life together. And although you may be someplace else than me, you've expressed me a need that I can fill. And the Bible tells me to fill that. So why do I think I should get to control that? Lord, just help me put that down and just suppress that sin that wants to control me. It help me stop that, that selfish idea that what I've earned is mine. And it right. God just gets 10% of it. Um, right. We need to repent about yep. what money is doing and what resources do in our yep. hearts. And yep. how we're looking at other people who maybe don't have the same as us. If we're going to unlock what God has for us in this idea of sharing, what we saw in the first century church and sharing was radical. Right. There's no reason we can't yeah. have that now. But our own sin gets in the way. Our self-centeredness really is a barrier. So right, the caliber, the, and I'll keep this one brief. But the caliber of the 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 widow who gave everything, um, is such a beautiful picture. Um, she wasn't forced to do it, like Fickett assumes you should go and do with the poor. She wasn't. Jesus wasn't saying. You know, I watching to see, I really want her to give so that she can get over her mindset of dependence. That, that is an old trope of the racial other, that the person who is dependent is always the person who's lazy, the person, you know, the Irish were called that. The uh, Europeans, some Eastern Europeans, when they migrated here, Jews too were subjected to these kinds of tropes. Now, What's, what's curious about this idea of dependency is that it is not dependency if you are of a certain status, right? Because just even in taxes, everyone claims dependence because we get the tax credit. So the question is, who does this claim of dependency 
benefit? Who, who, who's benefiting from that trope and that label? Obviously, if somebody comes to me, Matt, and they're asking me for money each time and blowing it and blowing it, I want to have a conversation with them and say, hey, can we find other ways of getting you help while I am still, we, while I'm even still using money? You might need rehab. I'll pay for it, right? But here's the question. When it comes to missionaries, Western missionaries, when they're going overseas, are they going overseas as employees? No. They have to depend on somebody for money, right? Raising money. Here's the question. Why is it dependency when the money is going from white churches to non-white people? And why is it support when the money is going from white people to white people? White churches to white missionaries. <laughs> They're doing the same thing categorically. They're doing the same thing. It's not a categorical error. Oh, and, and that's why we need to have these talks because those types of observations, it's hard for somebody who has grown up in North America and has a, a very um, non-diverse background to, to see it that way. You know, it has to be pointed out for us to actually interact with that and say, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And uh, I appreciate you so much, Michael. I appreciate things like this. I, just, we are out of time for today. Okay. We're talking to <laughs> talk a lot about dependency. We're going to talk about yeah. how do we get okay. past some of these? What is it? What is a strategy for right. generosity in the future? How do we share well? Yeah. And how do we participate in brotherhood and sisterhood without tripping over these stumbling blocks? And so it's a tall order. We got lots of talks in the future, but we'll I come up with one. We'll come up with one for sure. All right. I've appreciated yeah. you today, Michael. <laughs> Thank you so much. Brother. All right, brother. I am going to uh, sign off now until the next time and just yeah. thankful for you, man. Thank you. Yes, so you too. Thank you so much. Thank you.